ladies or dinner rolls. You can see Judy or I, and we'll take your order, but we're taking orders for December now. So thank you to everybody who's already ordered. <laughs> and thank you for everybody being patient with me. The closer we're getting to the building project, um, you know, someone says, oh, yeah, we're going to order this, do this. I'm like, hey, listen. If there's any way we can raise the money, we need every penny towards the building project we can. So you'll start noticing when we do different events for the kids and all. I've asked uh, Vincent and I'm now asking Danny, any of the other groups that when we do it, we're going to try to uh, shoulder some of the expense of those uh, parents. Um, and the main reason is that it's not that the church doesn't. Once in a while we do. If it, um, We're talking about using some youth funds for some of the bigger deals um, because there are funds that people are giving towards youth or other things. But we want to try our best where we can to relieve some of the burden so your kids get to do things and, and uh, money that's been given to bless them. We want to do that, but we're trying to raise money for uh, as many things as we can to keep moving towards that goal of the building. So uh, you can blame it on me. I'm the one putting the, the brakes on, on a lot of things. So, um, <clears throat> But anyway, that's a great thing. I appreciate everybody doing that. Safety team is forming. Um, uh, Dave Donahue and I, if you're interested in being on the safety team, uh, it'll be folks that will be on a rotation. We're trying to get as many um, men as we can. And if you have any medical training, uh, ladies or men, we need you. But we're going to have a meeting right after the second service on Sunday, uh, and lunch will be provided. But there'll be a meeting and training, and we're going to try to get that implemented. We've already had it implemented, but we're going to try to get some structure to it. So come for that. Ladies Bible study, not in, uh, in November and December, uh, no third Saturday in November, December due to holidays. Last Bible study of 2016 will be Tuesday, December 6th at 6.30. What happens when you get bifocals, but then you're starting to have trouble on the top too? <laughs> Am I heading towards trifocals already? Okay, I think that's it for now. Dennis's birthday is tomorrow. Okay, so we can sing happy birthday to Dennis. All right. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Dennis, happy birthday to you. <coughs> okay, all right. All right, so teachers, if you want kids to stay still, teachers, you can head towards a class. All the girls can go first. Boys have to stay still. Girls, you can go first. Okay, now all the little boys, all the, all the kids can go. Walk, walk, walk. All right, adults, if you want to find a different place or if you're happy where you're at, same old story every week. If you like where you're at, you're fine, but if you want to move, All right, so how's everybody feeling today? Yeah, good, good, good. We're not going to get into details, but everybody sleep okay last night? or <laughs> no. Well, I will tell you, we left the church about, uh, Jen and I, after 2 in the morning sometime. Uh, but we had uh, a de decent group of people in the back, uh, folks, uh, even a couple that uh, don't normally attend New Song, but... Uh, I went off and printed off sheets of the electoral votes on a map, and we were felt like the Catholic Church, like we were doing bingo, you know, because we were marking off the states, and it was kind of fun and interactive. Next year, we may actually play bingo during, or not next year, but next election, play bingo during election. We'll figure out how to do it with the electoral votes somehow. So, 
It was a good time. I went in to clean up today, and it looked like we'd had Super Bowl party back there, actually. But it was uh, it was um, a good time. You know, listen, I'd be saying the same thing that I just said, no matter who won, because I was thankful for folks that, and I know some of you couldn't, or you had other plans, or you're with family, or you didn't trust your attitude to be around everybody else um, during the election. But whatever it was, it was just nice to have some folks here, and you know, Dave Donahue and his wife, Marcia, came, and and Danny and Melissa and their kids, and we had Andrew and Chelsea and um, Nathan. Now, Nathan got in trouble right off. He came in. Everybody else had purposely purpo- uh, picked the color of shirt for the candidate they're voting on. And come in. Nathan was the only one wearing a different color shirt than everybody else. It wasn't planned. I'm not telling you Nathan was defiant and going on his own. He just didn't think about it, and we, so we had fun with that. Uh, but Nathan did come in and pray extra uh, over us, so I think he's okay now. Um, it was good. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> so we've been, uh, let me make sure I'm thinking through anything. We had a partnership class this last Sunday night at our house, had a good group of people. Um, so with my family of five, I think we had around 14 um, there, so about nine uh, people, and a, uh, seven of those were interested in, in partnership. And uh, Danny and Nathan, for the first time, I had help presenting. They presented a few of the sessions, and it was really good, good time. And we got to enjoy the earthquake during during that. So anyway, we're excited. That's exciting because we're uh, that's adding to not just to the numbers of people who come here, but that's people who have said, you know, I really feel like New Song is my home. This is where I'm. I'm comfortable. I want to be, but I don't want to just get too comfortable. I want to. I want to get more involved. I want to be a, a partner. So. Great stuff. All right, so uh, <coughs> we're gonna we're gonna conclude tonight with a, this last portion. We're gonna conclude our series on prayer, on intercessory prayer for Wednesday nights, and then start something new next week. But uh, this is remember intestinal fortitude for intercession is what we're calling the series. Intestinal fortitude for intercession. So intercessory prayer being the type of prayer where you don't cease until you get the answer. You keep praying until the answer comes, and then having intestinal fortitude. It's a little quip, a thing that uh, said a lot many times in the military. It means having the guts, having the, the resolve to keep praying through until the answer comes. So that's what the series has been called. But tonight, our sermon is titled Common Sense versus Uncommon Faith. Common Sense versus Uncommon Faith. So I didn't write anything down for my opener because I'm just going to wing it tonight. Because I, I have this more in me than, I, than if I wrote it down, uh, I'd be reading it. But I have been raised to have good common sense. And I'm sure that's comforting since my parents are here that makes them feel good that, they, that I recognize I was raised to have good common sense. But the awesome thing about being raised in a spirit-filled Christian home uh, is that you're encouraged to not rely on common sense more than you do your faith in God and his power to, to resolve issues, to draw you close to him, whatever it is. You know, common sense can be, be seen as good in a way, but if you rely on common sense, common sense, we know that the scripture says that, that the scripture will seem like foolishness to those who don't believe. So there is some uncommonness about belief in the Holy Scriptures. So we have to be careful that we aren't relying too much on uncommon sense because what 
or what on common sense because that is in a way looking to our own understanding, our own power for answers. Let me ask you, how many of you are cramming specialists in the field of procrastination? Cramming specialists in the field of procrastination. So Jen and, and I, being married over 12 years, she's seen me in different times where I've had to take tests for different things. Um, I'm trying to think there's a few at Walmart to get some certifications I needed. When I was at um, CMI, I had to be actually licensed to handle insurance claims in all 50 states. So I had to take regular tests in about, for about 26 of them, the rest being reciprocal for those. So I was always studying, always preparing, always going to continue ed classes. And um, I would have two months to get ready for that, you know, or a month. And I would wait till a week out. And I'd be complaining. I was like, I can't believe I do this to myself. Now I got to stay up late every night this week. But then I would just nail it on the test. But once in a while, I just get a wild hair. I'm going to prepare ahead. I break the mold. And I do poorly. It's almost like I psyched myself out. I studied so hard so long that um, I overthought things. When I got a test, how many of you ever, you take the number two pencil, right? And you keep, you keep erasing and change your answer until it's wearing through the paper. You're like, oh, no, now I need a new scorecard, right? Well, some of us, that's almost like our profession. We are um, cramming specialists in the field of procrastination. You know, waiting last minute to study for a test. Or um, you were the one with your notes out furiously trying to cram any and all information in your head, hoping it will stick for the next hour or so while you take the test. I remember that in Bible college. I'd make flashcards. I learned best. Uh, maybe that was because Bible quiz. But I learned best with flashcards. A uh, question on one side. The stuff you have to know for the test on the back. And I just flip, you know. So I'd be walking into classes, you know. I could have been studying for weeks, but, you know, that week I saw I've just been running those flashcards. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, when schools give out their final exams, you know, you had the kids that were relaxed because they knew their stuff. They walked in, they're sipping their water, or I guess juice if it was younger school, whatever it is, and they sit down and they're all just waiting for the test to start, you know? And you're over there sweating it if you're the other kids that didn't. Um, are you the kids that relax because they didn't know the stuff and they just didn't care? I'm perfectly happy with a D or F. I really don't like class either. So uh, then you had the kids who were pouring over their notes trying to stuff as much info as possible in their heads. You know, there's some things in life it's okay to be unprepared for, like uh, being surprised by family, you know, a surprise visit from uh, beloved family, uh, meeting a new friend or being given a gift. And I have to say on that, we're just blown away by the generosity on, on pastor appreciation. Uh, um, <clears throat> the, the, I'd been saving s some money to, to buy something to do, uh, some better video for the church, and lo and behold, the timing, timing is perfect. You know, what, what you gave for pastor appreciation is finishing off that fund for me, and they're having a sale on that item this weekend at Sam's. So I'll be standing in line about 6 in the morning at Sam's. But, uh, but you know, being prepared, you know, give, being given a gift, you don't need to be prepared for that. Winning the door prize or being the first caller on Dial-A-Trade, right? Or hearing the words, I'm pregnant. Actually, I don't know if I agree with that one. Sometimes it's a little good to be prepared for that one. I remember almost falling down. So... But oftentimes we're unready for such things. But what makes them so good is we didn't expect it. However, most often it pays to be ready or to be prepared. 
We can't always wing it and hope that things turn out. Sometimes we have to be prepared. We have to be ready to face the things that are coming. Being ready and worrying about being ready are two different things. It's good to be ready. It's bad to worry about it. But I think that it's interesting that this is exactly what Jesus had been doing for his disciples, preparing, him for, uh, preparing them for his death, preparing them for their future, preparing them to be the leaders. And for them to be the leaders not only of uh, other disciples, but of a moment that would eventually sweep across the, the world, a movement that would sweep across the world and change everything about how believers organize. And in Matthew 26, we see how Jesus wants them to prepare. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start verse 36. <coughs> Matthew chapter 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Matthew 26, 36. When you get there, say, got it. If you don't have it, say, hold on. Okay. I just saw Pam's lips move. I don't know. I think she said it. Okay. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them into a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as your will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So whether you're at school, at camp, at church, or at home, or if you work with children, you can sometimes be so frustrated that you make broad sweeping, sweeping claims. If your kids do uh, something uh, uh, <clears throat> and you get upset with them, you might say, you do that again, and I'm never bringing you here again. How many times have I said that about, um, what's that place? Chuck E. Cheese. I'm never bringing you here again. Other kids have been wiping their nose on my pants, stepping on my feet, running over me. We know we're going to bring them there again, right? I've had enough. You're never going to go outside again. You'll sit on your bed for the rest of your life. If you do not settle down, I'll pack you up in a box and ship you to Dubai. Of course, we make those big claims. Um, some of you have been here long enough, heard the story, but when Colt and Caleb were real little, I'm thinking they were talking pretty good, um, and they were walking, but they were little guys. Um, Colton through, went through this time where we'd go to get out of the van at the house, and we, we lived in one of these old Bella Vista Cooper homes that was just 1,000 square feet, and the roof covered the carport and the house, the open house. So you pulled under the carport, and you're right there. Your door's on the side. And it might be cold or something like that. We'd pull in, it's dark. And he would be mad about getting in trouble about something, and he wasn't going to get out of the van. I'm just going to stay in here. Well, Jen, well, you can't stay out here. And I just look at her and say, let's go in. So I go in. 
click the lock on the button. I'd go inside. I'd sit down for a minute, and I'd go out and look out the curtain. And he'd be sitting there with his arms folded, and he'd be looking around. And you just know a matter of time, he's thinking, he's like, it's kind of dark out here, you know? It's kind of cold. And then pretty soon, you'd hear, see him. He'd be screaming. He wanted out, you know? And so we went through that. Then he went through a phase where he's going to get new parents, you know? And I'd tell him, okay, well, you're going to, you know, I'll let you pack a few toys. We bought them, but, you know, pack them up. He'd pack them, he'd stand at the door. And I, so let's go to Walmart. I'm just going to go see if we can find you some parents at Walmart. And he'd be all sure about himself until we got in the van and started pulling out the drive. No, I don't want new parents, you know. And we went through these things. But, you know, even kids, they start learning at these early ages. They make these huge statements they can't back up, right? And it's funny, just those moments before uh, this incident we read about, Peter makes a bold claim that he would die alongside Jesus. However, right now he can't even stay awake for his friend Jesus. It's easy to make bold claims, to say, I will do this for you, Jesus, or I will do that for you. I'm, gonna, I'm going to witness to every person I come across. I'm going to be there for you all the way. I'm, I am yours, man. I, I am going to be your man, or I'm going to be your woman. Just, Jesus, you can count on me. But when it came right down to it, we don't always follow through, do we? Our spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think I hit that every time Danny and I were talking about this about fasting. I think fasting was easier when I wasn't so addicted to food. So verse 42, again for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if, I, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And verse 43, And again he came and found them sleeping, for his eyes were heavy. Verse 44, So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying, the same words again. In verse 45, Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayers are at hand. And again, Peter fails, and he fails to watch, and he fails to pray. And Jesus asked him to watch, and then he warned him to pray, but Peter fails to do any of this. Instead, he sleeps. Now, <clears throat> I know they probably walked more in those days and were in better shape for it. But, you know, they're walking all over the place ministering. And, and my heart kind of goes out to Peter because uh, my dad had to put up with me falling asleep in church uh, most of my growing up. People used to joke that I had a button in my rear end that when I sat down, it shut me off. And all the youth group would sit in one row and I would, I would start nodding off and all of a sudden I'd feel some jabs and I'd look and they're all laughing at me. And I get so angry because I'd be trying so hard and I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I'd fall asleep and then later found out I had a sleeping disorder. But, but Peter, I don't know that it, if he has sleeping disorder, I think they'd give him credit for that. But it looks like he just, he's letting his uh, flesh, the weakness of his flesh, overtake him. And he's not holding up to what he claimed he could do, that even unto death he would do whatever Jesus needed. And see, his passionate statements forgotten in the fog of sleep. And at this time, Jesus is trying to prepare Peter and the others for what's coming. But now, now it's too late. So we're going on, verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Verse 48. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man seize him. 
Verse 49, and he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then he came up and laid his hands on Jesus and seized him. Verse 51, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant on, of the high priest and cut his ear off. hoo Right? Yeah! That's what we want to hear, right? Finally some action on Jesus' side. Someone finally showed him who's boss, right? Whacked his ear clean off. Bet he didn't see that coming, did he? He probably heard it coming, but he didn't see it coming, right? At least he heard it until his ear fell off. But of all the accounts of this night, only John's, uh, John uh, names names. It wasn't just one of them. It was Peter, their leader. When the heat is on, Peter acts. I mean, he couldn't stay awake for the prayer time, right? How many know, you know, hey, we're having prayer time at the church. Oh, yeah, I'm busy, right? You need me to go over there and tell those people quit bugging the church? I'll go over there and take care of that. I'll whack them over the head, right? So that's Peter. He's, he's willing to act, you know, when it comes to really uh, being the man on the spot. But, but when Jesus is asking him to do something, he, he fails. He was going to do what he swore he would do, and that is to die with Jesus so he comes out swinging. And just so it's clear, he isn't aiming for the guy's ear. See, I think a lot of times we read that and think, man, Peter, he's really good with a sword. I mean, he just, whoo, warning shot, right? No, he was trying to take his head off. He wasn't a swordsman. There's no indication Peter had sword training. You know, he had the little mask thing and the white suit and the fencing thing. No, he was just trying to whack the guy's head off and caught his ear. So then, verse 52, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Verse 53, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? When the going got tough, Peter got going. He jumped into the fray and started to swing and he acted without hesitation and tried to stop the will of God. He thought he was doing what was right and he thought it was, he was doing so good, but the, in the end, he frustrated the purposes of God. Now that's kind of hard to read, right? Because how many, now I mean you don't have to just agree with me, but when I read that, even now, even after God's work in my heart to not be quick to act, to be slow to anger, all those things, I read about Peter taking the guy's ear off, and I still inside I'm like, yeah. Does anybody else get that feeling? It's hard to fight it. At least I know the guys are like, yeah. It's just like that movie I watched the other night, you know, or whatever. But we, you know, we, we, we like that. But here's the thing. Peter, was he, did he have good intentions? Did he? But what was he, was he doing it for himself? For Jesus. No greater love than to lay your life down for a friend. Guess what was going to happen to him? There's a host of people with weapons. Peter didn't whack at the guy thinking, I'm going to take out all these guys. Peter's like, they are going to get me, but I'm going to take some with me when I go. Now, I'm not saying it's the right attitude because we know that. But see, even in his good intentions, he was almost trying to thwart the plan of God. Now we can say, argue, well, Peter didn't really know that. But Jesus had been trying to set him up and tell him. 
I mean, this was a process. This is um, like us being discipled, and eventually we're supposed to get it, right? We've been talking about prayer for several weeks, and my question to you is, are you praying? And this is an important question because it is through prayer that we can be shaped and prepared for what's coming. Remember when I talked about the, uh, being good procrastinators, being good crammers? I, I love how this lined up for tonight because we're just coming off the elections. And guess what we had is four weeks on Tuesday worth of prayer. Did you pray? Did you watch the elections? Now, I'm not wanting, I'm not wanting outward responses, but I'm just wanting you to think these. I want you to answer yourself. Did you watch elections and even want to watch it to the end? And you want to know the outcome, right? But did you pray? How much will you pray for our presidents and our leaders after, to, after today? How much will you be concerned for uh, the forward movement of the Christian faith in our nation after today when it comes to politics? How concerned will you be about the abortion, abortion issue until it's on the ballot? Will you pray? You see, we sure like to be uh, men and women of action, but the problem is in our good intentions, like we think we're defending Jesus, in reality sometimes we throw out the plan of God because he's just asking us to pray. His word couldn't be more clear than what our role is, what our battle plan is, how we do spiritual warfare. It's prayer and fasting. So, again, my question is, are you praying? It's an important question because it's through prayer that we can be shaped and prepared for what's coming. When we pray, we begin to understand what God is doing and we can join Him. We can be in unison. How great is that? Uh, people say, I really wish I knew the will of God for this job. If I could just, will you pray with me that I'll know which job to take? And we get so fervent about that because it feels so heavy about this decision. But then when it comes to, uh, it comes to salvation of lives in our communities, our neighbors, our family, how, how troubled are we? How much do we pray? How much do we really put in? Or are we sleeping? But when we don't, we act just doing things willy-nilly and do everything to frustrate what God's doing. And I have a feeling that in our nation, we've been frustrating God a lot, especially around election times. He's probably thinking to himself, you know, I, I don't, you're saying I'll go with you to the end, Jesus. I will die for my faith. I will do anything. But I've been asking you all year to pray for the unsaved. I've been asking you through my word to get on your knees and fervently pray for your family. And you know what? You having problems with your kids? Then why aren't you praying? Having problems with your family, why aren't you praying? Don't like where your community or your nation is going, why aren't you praying over and over and over? So Jesus told Peter to pray. Peter slept. Jesus didn't want Peter to act, but when the opportunity presented itself, he acted. Peter failed to pray, and because of that, he got in the way of what God was doing, and he acted in a way that many who also lean on their own strength Applaud his actions, just like we mentioned before. We get excited. We applaud his actions because he took some action, right? But that's because we are like Peter where we're leaning on our own understanding, leaning on our own strength, and not the supernatural power of God through his answering our prayers. So listen to this. There are three things, there are three things we can learn from Peter when we fail to pray. The first one, we lose our dependency on God. When we fail to pray, 
we lose our dependency on God. So how many have lost power in their house bef- houses before? We, we're pretty dependent on electricity, right? We're all excited that we have a well and we don't have to pay nobody for the water. We're getting it God's water right out of the ground. It may smell like sulfur, but it's God's water out of the ground. It's free. You know, eventually that $11,000 for that well, digging all the equipment and everything, you know, if you're figuring $100 a month, I'm thinking, yeah, 10 years from now, we'll have free water. You know, we're excited. But lightning zapped at one time. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, without electricity, we have no water. City water, you don't worry about that. So we get dependent on it. So, Dennis, I'm going to ask you out there, can you turn off the four-year lights for a minute? All right, Nathan, can you help me out and turn off all the lights in here? All right, there's more light than we can deal with. But I want you to, let's see, for ladies, I want you to try to find like a keys or something in your purse. Maybe you know right where they're at, but try to find something you're not sure where it's at. Or if you don't have a purse, guys, uh, try to find an envelope in the back of the pew. Try to take something out and write on it. Try to do something that, that you, can't, you can't actually see what you're doing. All right, married couples, no smooching. I, I heard I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Dennis, you can turn the lights on. Okay, so the point is this. How many went for their keys and knew right where they're at? How did you know right where they're at? It's where you put them, but do you put them in the same place pretty much every time? All right. How many of you went for something you weren't quite sure of where it was at? It's a little bit difficult, right, without, without good lighting. We had some lighting. If we could have made it pitch dark in here, it's different. The point is this, that it's like with, with following with what God wants us to do and praying for our needs instead of trying to, to lean on our own understanding. A common sense is, is as we get in the habit of praying, we, we default, we know exactly what it takes to get it done. But when we start to, to do things on our own power, it's like we're fumbling around the dark. It's something that we have to rely on, our, our, our memory of where we put it, um, how to get to it. It's, it's, we get dependent on electricity, and so when it's off, we notice it, and we don't like it. However, when it comes to God's power, we will most often try to do things on our own, before we turn to God. We've got his power at our, at our well, I'd say fingertips, really our knees or however you pray. In your prayer closet, you've got his power accessible all the time. But many times we're fumbling around in the dark because we don't go to prayer until the last thing, until we're desperate. God gave me a sword, I'll just whack the ear off of this problem. The only time we turn to God is when people are sick or we're in so much trouble we don't know where to turn or when we are so lost we're ready to be, uh, be led. We're tired of not being led. And those aren't bad things for God to do for us, but the, the key there was is we only turn to him sometimes when those things happen. Not when the fact of, hey, we learned a few things from this last election, right? We, we may want to pray for better and better leaders. So maybe we better start now. Not that God needs that time, but because it's going to train us in the darkness, what's out there, to always know where the power's at. 
It's going to train us to not wait till the last minute expect God to pull a rabbit out of the hat for us. Instead, we're his people who live in a land who are praying. And it's like when Lot, when Lot's uh, bargaining for the uh, city of Sodom is how many righteous people are there? And God can quickly say there are a host of righteous people because they are going in intercessory prayer. They are not ceasing. They are not giving up. They are praying for the unborn babies all the time. They're praying that there won't be corruption in their government. They're praying that their nation will turn to God. They're praying for the sins of the nation all the time. Now, I know it's difficult. Can I say that I, all through the year, I'm thinking, pray for the nation, pray for the nation. You know, unless I set a reminder on my phone, which I have a few for consistent prayer, no, it drops off. But this is something that I, with you, I know from Scripture, we all need to do. We see it from Peter. So when the time came, he had his own power to rely on. So how often do we fail to pray? How often do we fail to pray along the way for little things in life? We, we fail to pray for ourselves and for our families. So when we pray, we're reaching for that source of power. So the second thing that we can learn from Peter, that when we fail to pray, we lose faith in God's power. We lose the faith in the power. So first we lost our dependency on God and we lose faith in the power. And here's, here's what's very interesting. There's a dynamic at work with just these two. How many heard people say who, who were happy about who got elected, that that was their candidate, finally my faith is restored in the election process? You hear anybody say that? You've heard it said? What about those who voted for Obama they felt like their hope had been restored, right? The deal is, is that once we lose our dependency on God, the second thing to fall is we lose our faith in his power. And when we start losing faith in his power, then we stop seeing that there's hope for change. And we start giving up altogether. We give up on our walk in faith, start leaning so much on our own understanding that next thing you know, it's not even really necessary to go around other believers at church. I don't get anything out of that. I don't get anything out of reading the word anymore. I don't get anything out of this because you're leaning on your own understanding. So we lose faith in God's power. Peter was no longer dependent on God. Instead, he thought that God needed him. So he pulled his sword out and strikes out. Here's the interesting dynamic. God doesn't need anything from us. He wants fellowship, but he doesn't need anything. But sometimes we think God's needing us to do something. He needs us, you know. I like what Jesus said to him in verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? How many is that? How many angels, 12 legions? From what I can find, they're looking about 74,000 angels. Some even think the number could be around 96,000. That's a lot of angels and in a lot of power, considering that one angel in the Old Testament killed 185,000 men in the Assyrian army all by itself. One guy, or one angel, 185,000 down. So Peter was under the mistaken impression that Jesus needed him, and the truth was far from it. Jesus didn't need Peter at all. In fact, this was all part of his plan to save humanity, and it was Peter that needed him. The whole point is lessons all along the way. And the three times Jesus had asked them to pray was part of the test. I need to show you what it takes to get through this. Think what Jesus is thinking. You're going to see me die a horrible death. 
it's, it, it could crush you because you're thinking I'm coming to set up the earthly kingdom. You guys still aren't quite getting this. I'm really concerned about how you're going to react, Peter. I'm trying to think. Jesus being in a human body, being in that human setting, in, that, in this fallen world. And, and Peter, I pray. The prayer, it, you know, it's all through his word. If you pray, Peter, then things can be different. Not that Jesus wouldn't go to the cross, but that he would begin to learn that when things get tight like that, when things get horrible, when things get that gruesome, when things get desperate, deadly, when your friend's lives are at stake, what do you do? You go to the Lord in prayer. You take the time to do that. Instead, he falls asleep, and three times Jesus is trying to get him to pray. But sure enough, he's awake when, the, when, the real, when what he sees is the real trouble's on the scene, right? And that's not the real trouble. Jesus was, that's all part of the plan. But that is us, right? We think that God needs us. He needs our service. He needs us coming to church. He needs our money. He needs us for everything. All of which is not true. God doesn't need anything from us. He owns everything already. If he's hungry, he isn't going to tell us. He's not going to say, hey, can you phone up Domino's? Give me that special. God doesn't need us to do anything. The Lord is our provider. He's our, um, he's our Lord. He's, we need Him and He needs us to, to fall in line with His Word for our sakes, not for His. He's the one who brings us aid. He's not dependent on us. We're dependent on Him. However, when we fail to pray, we fail to rely on God's powder. Pow, powder. Powder. He'll turn us into powder. No, I'm kidding. Rely on His power. The greatest measure of your spiritual life isn't how much you give, how often you read the Bible, or how often you're at church. It's in your life of prayer because when you're praying, you're relying on God and believing that He alone has the power to save. Let, let, me, let me just be, uh, before we go on to the third one and final one, I'm just going to be completely wrong with you on this. As a pastor, one thing I've learned is we don't need anybody to do anything around here. It's the same concept. It gets passed down. I don't need people to do tasks. I know sometimes you think when we say, hey, we're, and we use the words because it's just our common language, we need someone to help us with kids' care. We need someone this. We need someone that. It's, we don't. Because here's what happens when we need just someone to do a task. If that person's not growing spiritually, there's going to be things come apart in their life. And then they're going to be representing Christ in a bigger way because they stepped into a larger capacity. And if their life is a mess, then that's what that's projecting to the community is, um, you know, you can't hold your life together, but yet you're trying to train up other people to follow God's word. You can't seem to follow his word, but someone else can. We need folks who are dedicated and devoted to God's word and growing spiritually so that you're equipped by him and by his word to be excellent in anything he asks you to do in the kingdom through the church. So if he wants you to teach children, then you need to be reading your word and praying because through that development, through that growth, I, I can come pray with you, but I can't, I can't pray with you the amount you need to be doing all week just to have the kind of relationship with God you need to be able to give out. The reason you get to feel dry sometimes and you feel worn out and you feel like you just don't have anything to give to church and you're just too busy in your schedule is, the very, is that very reason. You aren't spending enough time with the Lord and so you're not refreshed enough to give out. And the same thing happens for pastors. That's why so many are leaving the ministry. So many are getting worn out is because we don't refuel sometimes. And so we're giving out and giving out and we crash and burn. If you're ever around me and I see, seem agitated, 
you know, it might not be your, if you're not someone I'm mentoring with, you, you know, you might be able to help me and say, pastor, is everything okay? We may not get into it, but you, you can tell even with me if I'm not refueling enough. I've had a few people ask me, I've had some of my advisory team members ask me, are you getting time, pastor, the time you need? You seem, you seem like things are getting to you. So you see, I'm not standing up here in judgment over you. I'm telling you, this is just, if you want to look at the Bible like a shop manual and you are the equipment, then this is how you make sure you keep running. And so we can't grow in our ministry here until people just make the commitment to grow spiritually themselves. And that requires effort on theirs. I'm sorry, I wish you could get all the growth you needed out of a couple hours of sermons a week and a few, a few Bible studies a month. But you can't. And in our culture, if we try to meet more often than that, this kind of history has proven people have a hard time committing to more time. So that means that your time at home is the most effective because you're not having to go anywhere. You're, you're there and you can be alone with God and you can get this sword out with him and you can have him begin to, at, uh, begin to work through you. So, you know, you can come to church and try to lop off the ear of the problems the church may have, but if you haven't been doing what God's asked you to do, you're actually getting in the way of his plan. So number three, when we don't pray, when we fail to pray, we learn from Peter's example, we end up opposing God. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus then tells them that he must go to Jerusalem and be handed over to the evil men and be crucified. But Peter said, what kind of talk is that? Paraphrasing. We're not going to let that happen, Jesus. What kind of crazy talk is that? Somebody going to hurt you You hand over to evil men. Uh-uh, we'll take care of that. It's just common sense to stay away from that place, right? Peter's thinking, well, if that's where the bad men are, don't go there, right? It's like the, you know, I don't watch scary movies anymore. We just got done with people celebrating Halloween. But uh, back when I did watch them, you know, there's always the, the girl who's looking out the door at night, right? And she hears a noise, so she steps out on the porch. You're like, go in and lock the door. What are you doing, right? You ever watch those? And, you, and then she's walking out, and she's going towards the woods. And, you know, you have the scary person's in the woods, and you're like, Dummy, go back to the house and lock the door, right? We get so involved in that. But, but here's the thing. That's, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's common sense to stay away from that place that's dangerous, and that's what Peter thinks he's telling Jesus. And Jesus looked Peter square in the eye and said, Get behind me, Satan. Now, was he really calling Peter Satan? No. He, he was seeing that Satan was trying to use Peter to thwart the plan, right? Are you a stumbling block to me? You do not have, the, have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Basically, Peter was using common sense and not listening to God. In verse 54, Jesus says, But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And Jesus tells Peter to put away his sword and this is all part of God's plan, and if you stop this, then you're gonna. Uh, if you stop this uh, from happening, you're gonna be going against the will of God. So Peter has in uh, has in his mind human things, not the things of God. He's just using common sense, and we do this all the time. When we see someone going through a hard time, what do we do? We we pray. 
that are their suffering stops. Now, I don't plan to spend I didn't plan to spend hardly any time on election stuff tonight. You know, I don't believe it's over in my mind. Not that the election isn't, but our our trouble that got us, you know, in that mess. But listen. God can use evil rulers, we know that from the scripture, to get his people to come back to him. We've gone over this before, right? He can use righteous leaders to do his will as well. So in effect, all that really matters is what the people or God are doing between them and God, not them and that leader. Because if they're following God and purpose in their heart to follow Him and pray and fast and let Him lead them, then they'll make the right choices over their leaders and they'll do those things. And if the leader, if, if the majority of the church, you're doing the right thing, this church is, and say every other church doesn't, God is, we may have to go through a rough time, but we weren't guaranteed not to have persecution. We weren't guaranteed to have some perfect, we're not in the promised land. I don't know if some people realize that. We're not in the promised land. So we have to be very careful that we're not looking at things from a common sense point of view, but we're looking at it from a supernatural view. Common sense versus uncommon faith. When we're experiencing hard times, trials, and difficulties, we pray for them to go away so that we will have sunshine and pie in the sky by and by. But Job, Job could have prayed till the cows come home, right? But until the test was over, he wasn't getting relief. Paul said he prayed three times for the thorn to be removed from his side, but God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. I mean, that, that really stinks in the natural for an answer from God. God, please remove this thing that hurts so bad. I'll carry you through. Another thing I don't mention a lot, but it's brought more to my attention in the building project is I don't know that I've ever experienced a death close to me like Pastor Jim's impacted me and I hurt so bad inside. I was thinking about this uh, one night at the MAPS convention when I got to bed and thought about it. I can't remember it exactly. I just remember excruciating pain. I remember my heart just wrenched and I could almost, if I stopped thinking about it, I just remember it. It, it was like that my heart was being crushed and turned and the tears coming from my eyes were the water from my heart. It just felt that intense. God, please take this from me. I remember driving to a parking lot on lunch break and call my dad, and I usually say dad. We don't really, I don't remember ever if I ever called him daddy, but I remember that day I called him daddy, and I just said, daddy, I'm hurting. And we talked, and I was crushed. But the pain didn't go right away. It didn't go away. God, God, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I imagine he's probably saying the same thing like he said to Paul, is my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to need to build off that pain. You're going to need this later. When you're pastoring, you know, see, I didn't hear all that. When you're pastoring and somebody says something that just jabs like a knife in your heart and they're thinking you're bulletproof because you're a pastor and that's your job and they're just voicing their opinion, they don't realize how much that stings or hurts, you're going to need to know that that's nothing compared to the other and you can breeze right on through. So, basically what Paul was going through, God wanted him to go through it. 
Peter didn't want Jesus to go through anything bad. He wanted to save his friend. It was common sense. And in common sense, we pray all the time for deliverance from things that God is doing in our own lives. We fail to see that he is doing what he's doing, and then we do what we, are, uh, what we feel like doing uh, that makes us feel good, and it opposes God's will. And so we use common sense instead of listening to God and using uncommon faith. We find ourselves in opposition to God and His plan. So when we fail to pray, we tend to do things wrong. When we stop relying on God, we start relying on our own power. And when we do that, we begin opposing God's will. And I know I get anxious about things. Where we're headed, what we're going to do. Will the church still be around? Am I going to kill this thing, God? Or are you going to help me to make sure this church grows? Because I don't know how to do it. And the, the temptation is just start doing things. You know, I had this conversation recently with somebody, and, and I've learned to kind of watch it because I can get sucked in, but uh, everybody starts having an idea. Why don't we do this, Pastor? Why don't we do that? And I don't want you to stop. It's good. One thing I learned from Walmart, it's good for us to have ideas and to talk about them. But there's times when I have so much thrown at me, I'm like, before I know it, it's getting so distracted from what we have right in front of us that God has purposed in my heart, and I know we're supposed to be doing. And we're just filling space to make ourselves, because we're doing stuff for Jesus. We have the right intentions, but it may not be his plan. We're defending our our king, our Lord Jesus that we love, and and we mean well, but we need the uncommon faith, not the common sense. Common sense was said if we just go out and and feed the whole world, they'll just love Jesus, right? If we go out and just give everybody gifts, they'll love Jesus, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what a church does. I'm not against that. That's why we have real compassion, but we have to know that that's what God's asking us to do at the time. We don't need distractions. We don't need Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. I've already given you something to do. And it's big enough that you're probably going to need help getting, you are going to need help getting it done. And, and maybe you don't need to be looking all these other directions. There's sometimes maybe I'm not here and someone else has heard something and I hear an idea and I'm like, you know what? I almost missed that. That's, that's a great way to minister our community or that's a great thing to minister to our folks. When we start swinging our sword around and we end up making a mess because we don't know what we're doing we're just acting we need to put the sword away and pray we need to we need to as a church begin crying out for the power of god to fill us to lead us and to show us what he's doing so we can join him because when we stop praying we lose our dependency on god we lose our faith in god's power and we end up opposing god you know i didn't stop the series, the short series on the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we didn't get a huge response from folks because I'm not here to make you respond to an altar call. But I'm going to tell you that we're going to have to keep revisiting that because I know, you're talking about things that you know that God has revealed his plan, I know that until our church is open to the moving of the gifts of the Spirit and to a point that you're willing to let it put you out of your comfort zone and be willing to be given a gift from God that may be a little bit strange to you or, or be willing to do that, that we're going to lack the power to do the things he really wants us to do. Just like Peter, we come out with our sword thinking we can just do the actions and we're doing God's work. But keep in mind, Paul, when he was Saul, thought he was doing God's work when he was persecuting Christians. The Sanhedrin and, and the uh, religious leaders thought they were doing God's work when they killed Jesus. We have to be very careful that we're not leaning on common sense and our own understanding and goodwill deeds to look like and act like and seem like the church of Jesus Christ. 
We have to be able to hear his voice. And we hear his voice by praying and seeking him, getting on our knees, being willing to, to pray and pray and intercede with intestinal fortitude till we get the answer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we need you, Lord, to make everything clear to us because, God, we, they've got a human fouled, fouled person that has the same uh, tendencies to, to fail you that, that they have, God, and I've delivered as best as I can the message you've given me. But, Lord, this is where we need your Holy Spirit to communicate directly with the hearts of each person here. Not for any hype or not for any scorecard, Lord. This is simply to change lives in the direction you want them to go. I want everyone to, just for a moment, I want you to examine your heart and think about this uh, matter of prayer. If you're not spending time with the Lord and you're commonly saying, I think the Lord's telling me to do this or that, but you're not spending time with Him, you need to be real with yourself that He speaks through the times when you humble yourself and pray. If you're dissatisfied with your family or, or with things going on around you, your, your country, the politics, whatever it is, uh, and you're dissatisfied with that, but you can honestly tell yourself you haven't been praying, then you've got to back up. You're trying to use common sense, not uncommon faith. So I want us all to just take a minute. We're going to just reflect on our own hearts, and then, then I want us to take time to pray. So just for a moment, just I want you to examine your heart. All right, with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want you to, to for a moment, and this is, this is how the Holy Spirit works. It's not by my words or my suggestions, but it's by what you feel in your heart. If the Holy Spirit's moving on you to find a place to pray, or maybe you need to write down a commitment to changing some things, whatever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I want you to just act on that now. And uh, we've got time to spend in prayer, but if you need to kneel where you're at or come down to the altar, but it's very important that you don't leave if the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you about something in your life that you don't leave till you, till you resolve that, till you make it right with the Lord. So let's take time to pray. If uh, Nathan, if you have some worship music you can play for us.